Welcome to ASGCA Insights. I'm Mark Whitney. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast today the president of the PGA of America, Susie Whaley. Player, commentator, PGA professional, instructor, Susie has worn a number of different hats in the golf industry and worn them well. A former LPGA Tour member, she became the first PGA of America woman professional to win the Connecticut PGA Championship and is also a three-time Connecticut Women's Open champion. Her commitment to the PGA of America and its members has been capped by her current position. Since 2018, she has served as the association's first female president. Susie, welcome, and thank you for joining me. Mark, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the uh, interactions that you've been having with members. I think there's been uh, more conversation taking place, whether that's uh, electronically via Zoom or otherwise, uh, but also on the telephone than, uh, than we've had probably in recent years, thanks with everything that has gone on here the past several months. As you have talked with your fellow PGA members, what are you hearing from them and how they are sort of uh, adapting to the uh, new world that we're a part of? Yeah, thanks. You know, as probably many are aware, the PGA of America is made up of about 29,000 members, mostly uh, in the United States, but some all over the world. And when COVID really started to impact the world, um, we started, you know, as everybody did, well, how is this going to impact our business, our jobs, and our members, and the game? And from there, you know, you realize very quickly in a leadership position, our board, our officers, our executive staff, um, you know, what, what did we need to do uh, right out of the gate? And that was to over-communicate, to try to reach out and ensure that people knew uh, we were trying desperately to get them things they might need, resources and tools, um, listen to them, understand what was happening within their market as this is just changing day by day, by locality, by state. Um, and we knew we just had to do as much as we possibly could to keep that communication open transparent, authentic, and uh, really individualized. And, and certainly we, we haven't reached 29,000 people. I don't mean to make it sound like we have, but we've tried to. And we, we uh, in the very beginning of all this, I, I put out a challenge to our officers amongst our 41 sections. And I just asked them and their leadership teams and their governance models within their section by phone um, as much as they could, uh, and then have those people reach out to somebody. We're a pretty tight-knit group. And we're a social group that's used to interacting on a daily basis with the public, with our fellow members. And I knew there was going to be a lot of isolation. So, so we as a board started that and, you know, happily have reached a lot of members and had uh, some wonderful conversations, some incredibly sad conversations. Um, but it's made us all more connected. It's made us all unified. And um, we're still working at making sure everybody gets to the other side of this. A word that I that I mentioned in the introduction that I want to come back to is that of the role that you have had throughout your career as instructor. Uh, and in these times, I think of instructor from the teaching standpoint. Uh, you sort of referenced it a little bit in the answer that you just gave me in talking about uh, how you are reaching out and interacting. And as you put it, over communicating with members. Uh, I certainly have the sense that PGA members, uh, not unlike a number of the associations that are out there, are learning from each other in this situation, especially as spread out as we are across the country? Yeah, we sure are. I mean, learning how to engage with our customers, our members, our consumers in a way that's virtual so that we stay connected to them so they know that we um, 
can't wait to welcome them back. Uh, the instruction community, and I don't mean to make it sound like everybody hasn't hit, been hit very hard by this. Of course, um, everybody in the industry has, as well as other businesses. Um, but the instructors um, truly have been impacted, many of whom are independent contractors, many of whom um, are just out of work and been laid off, furloughed, or have lost their positions based on the fact that we weren't able to play the game up until couple days ago um, in most every state. I think we still have three states that aren't playing with social distancing guidelines. Um, and that really, um, uh, for us, is something that needs that needed immediate addressing. And, and many of these professionals, that, to your point, are learning from each other. Um, some professionals were ahead of the curve digitally and offering virtual lessons prior to COVID. Um, many companies have the opportunities to allow us to do that. And we've engaged with, with those companies, having talked to others um, in our field that we're already doing it. Um, so for example, I was on coach now, um, for quite a few years with an academy up in Connecticut. When I came down to Florida, I, I didn't, uh, use it as much. I was at a private member club and I turned that right back on again. So I could communicate with my constituents having had some conversations with other professionals, instructors who were, who were communicating with those they taught in that manner. So you learn something every day, uh, from each other. And, you know, it's also um, smart as we are going to open back up golf in a safe way, as, as I mentioned before, and we will get back to instruction, but it's going to take time to get back to instruction in a way um, that localities will allow it in a way that our customers will feel safe and in a way that our employees are, are protected and are safe. Uh, so there's a lot to consider, a lot of stakeholders um, but we're doing the best we can to make sure, as I said, that, that everybody has the knowledge of what's possible, um, that we uh, give them resources that they need through our association, um, and that we hope very much so that we can get beyond this uh, as we come out with a vaccine, hopefully, and um, people aren't so frightened and there's not so much anxiety. Talking with Susie Whaley from the PGA of America. Uh, Susie, again, wearing that, wearing that instructor hat, that teacher hat, uh, we are all seeking to communicate more and to reach out and engage more with, with folks in, in whatever way that we can. There is also the need, though, to, to try and strike a balance, it seems like, between being as proactive as we can in reaching the various audiences. And you talked about uh, your PGA members ultimately trying to connect and reconnect with their members again. But sometimes uh, you simply lead by listening to the folks as well, don't you? Yeah, I mean, you need that feedback uh, to understand what's really happening uh, out in the field. You know, certainly um, the game isn't played from a national headquarters. Uh, it's our PGA professionals. It's the consumers and markets that elevate the game um, that provide an enormous amount of great well-being opportunities. Uh, to those communities. And if you think about the $4 billion in charity that is raised at golf facilities um, each year, $4 billion, and the impact that this disease has on those local fundraisers, um, it's really imperative that we listen to our members in those sections of the impact it's having on food banks. And um, I could name, I don't want to miss any, but I could name multiple charities that, that are you know, struggling. Uh, at this point. And then, of course, our members. And in listening to our members, um, you know, that fiscal package that the government put out, we're so grateful for that, for our members who were able to 
um, utilize that, but we knew it wasn't going to be enough. And we knew it wasn't going to be enough because what we were hearing from our members stated that. And so we established an emergency golf relief fund um, that is was open to industry, uh, the entire industry, not just PGA professionals, uh, to raise money. The PGA of America is a lead gift in that and $5 million. We're working to raise uh, another $2.5 and the PGA of America is going to match that. Uh, so, um, you know, we, we have an opportunity uh, to listen, to understand, and to do some real good for many, many in the industry. And anybody who is listening to this or any corporations that are paying attention to this conversation, uh, where can they reach out and connect with you or your staff to, to be a part of, of this program you're talking about? I uh, thank you for that. It's a difficult time to ask people to donate, but if people love the game and, and um, really want to support the industry, uh, it's at relief.golf. Uh, and you can donate right on that webpage. You can certainly reach out to the PGA of America as well. Um, but that's uh, that's the site where we have a third party running that uh, for us. And, you know, we are really proud of it. Uh, we're proud of it because it's it's supporting the National Golf Course Owners Association. It's supporting caddies. It's supporting the LPGA teachers, the PGA of America. Um, it's supporting Symmetra Tour players, uh, mini tour players, uh, golf course. And I think I said golf course superintendents. Um, so at the end of the day, we, we really um, this industry is amazing as are so many others, but there's so many parts to our industry uh, that are struggling and need the support and need the help so we can continue to provide golf in an unbelievable way uh, for anybody who loves it. As you and I talked today, uh, this would have and should have been uh, the week for National Golf Day. Uh, happening in uh, scheduled to have happened in Washington, D.C. Uh, in this first week of May. Uh, not just industry leaders, but uh, members of a variety of different associations, superintendents, builders, architects, uh, players, owners, all coming together uh, to meet with our leaders in Washington and talk about what is happening. Uh, unfortunately, we're not able to do that this week, uh, but that has not limited, I am sure, uh, the interaction that you have with your fellow industry leaders uh, across the board. In conversations that you've had, especially those that you've had more in the past week or two, as more courses and more states have opened up a little bit more, what are you hearing and sharing with each other at those levels? Yeah, this is really a collaborative effort. And uh, recently we launched Back to Golf, which is a three-phase step tier program that's recommendation, the recommendations coming out to the industry as golf courses are uh, reopening. Uh, we had the CMAA involved in that, the golf course superintendents involved in that, um, the National Golf Course Owners Association, the PGA of America involved with that. It's really an allied collaboration that we also brought to the CDC uh, to ensure uh, we were aligned uh, with their guidelines to opening back up America. And uh, the CDC uh, looked over those back to golf guidelines uh, did say that we were in alignment uh, with how they were opening back up America. And so we felt confident in releasing those uh, to those that are just reopening. Uh, the first phase is, is fairly strict. It's uh, just uh, being grateful for being able to social distance uh, and to have a game that's considered a recreation. You know, we all that are in the industry look at it as a business, but for people who get to walk the golf course, uh, again, in that safe, uh, monitored way, 
um, you know, we're very fortunate that we have the opportunity to be able to do that, but it's a great responsibility on top of that. And, and we need to follow those guidelines. Uh, and while many, um, you know, may think uh, they don't want to do that, well, we're going to advise them strongly to do that so that they can remain spaces for people to enjoy. Um, and that we can phase back in when appropriate and when the local officials uh, allow uh, to phase two and then to phase three. Um, but this was absolutely uh, a unified effort and one that we needed to be unified on. Uh, we needed the feedback uh, from the industry to ensure that we had as much in there as was necessary. But again, they're just recommendations, but um, we're, we're thrilled to have that out. In fact, today, uh, this afternoon, uh, there's a media call uh, where we'll be aligning with the media on what those look like and what those are uh, as states reopen. And ultimately, it does come down to each individual golfer, doesn't it? And the, the role that he or she plays when they're out at a facility. You know, it really does. And, you know, the many places are walking only right now uh, and people are really enjoying that. I realize not everybody has the opportunity or ability to do so, but those that are walking and getting back to walking are realizing uh, what a gift that is to be in this open space that's beautiful and, and enjoy a little time off. Uh, with a walk and a few clubs. Uh, then we have other places who have single rider cars only, unless of course uh, it's a family member riding with you. And we've stipulated in, in our phases back to golf, you know, we've allowed a flag uh, to be put on that cart so that those monitoring or watching understand that those two people live together in the same household. Um, so, you know, we've taken as many precautions as we can, but to your point, it's really human behavior. It's understanding that when you have an employee at a facility wearing a mask um, and you're checking in, uh, certainly not within the golf shop, golf shops are closed. But if there is a starter place where you're checking in, um, you know, just be respectful and, and put your mask on as well, um, just to protect everybody involved. Um, use your, you know, don't, don't use other people's teas. Um, use your own, uh, bring your own water. Um, you know, anything that you can possibly think of that will keep uh, everyone at that facility safe, but you safe as well. And so that you can continue to enjoy the game. And, and that message needs to be unified. It needs to be very clear. And we just need to be patient. We need to be patient as um, we try to get everyone healthy again and in the realization that, you know, this is people are dying of this. And if we have the opportunity to get some exercise on a, on a beautiful space, um, certainly let's, let's not take advantage of that so we can continue to do so. Well, and I can tell you from personal experience, I had an opportunity this past weekend to, to get out and play nine holes with my teenage son, and I can play just as poorly walking a course as I can riding it. So, <laughs> uh, but we will continue to work on that side as well. I understand. <laughs> uh, Susie, I want to conclude uh, by asking you about another topic, and that is about women in leadership in the golf industry. Uh, ASGCA Insights previously spoke on this program with ASGCA President Jan Beljan, and she stressed the importance of simply providing opportunities for women at the local level, within a club, within a greens committee, as an important jumping off point is an important place for start for women in leadership type positions. Is that the type of thing you see as well at that local level? Yeah. Well, Jan Beljan, she's such a role model and, and such an inspiration to so many. And I, and I do see that I, she's absolutely right. You know, women need to be oftentimes uh, asked, invited, uh, understand that it's a possibility, see themselves in that role. 
And when you have somebody like Jan Jan who's out there doing it, um, it's much easier as a woman or, or anyone to say, oh, I, I could do that too. And as we get more and more women involved in governance at local clubs, whether they're public or whether they're private, um, we will see more women on the Greens Committee. Uh, we will see more women in leadership roles. Where I work, we have women on the board currently. Um, and it brings a, it brings a fresh, different perspective uh, to the game and to the room. It doesn't mean those that were there prior didn't make great decisions. It's just a different seat at the table. And I think that always makes a board stronger when you have diverse perspectives, uh, when you can have difference of opinion. Uh, it brings a club up, it unifies a club, uh, and it really produces some unbelievable opportunities for a club when they have the opportunity to include uh, a room full of people that does not look the same. Do you feel any more, and pressure may not be the correct word, do you feel any more pressure, though, uh, being the, the first woman in the position that you are in today in, in terms of setting a standard and, and other folks being compared to you as, as you go forward? You know, I think anytime you're the first is something, it's a, it's a huge responsibility. I, I don't think you take it on, however, unless you feel like you have the body of work that has prepared you to do so. So I would say every day I surround myself uh, with people who are smarter than I am, uh, who I can bounce uh, ideas off of. I'm uh, brave. I'm a risk taker. I'm capable of making a decision uh, after vetting out uh, a lot of things with a lot of people around me. I have an amazing team. It's, it's never a team of one. Leadership is about empowering others to succeed. And, you know, you have the opportunity to do that when you're in a leadership seat. And, and that's what I enjoy most about it. So do I feel pressure? I think every leader right now feels pressure. Uh, this is the most unprecedented time in history. Extremely challenging. Um, you're doing the you know best, trying to make the best decisions you can in real time as it's so fluid and changing on a day to day basis. Uh, so the pressure I feel is more from the challenge and the time we're in versus my gender. I like the phrase that you that you included in there, risk taker. And I encourage you to continue to keep taking risks on behalf of uh, PJ of America and your members. Uh, well, thank you. And thank you so much for having me and for all that you and your association do for the rest of us in the industry. My guest has been the PGA of America president, Susie Whaley. And that concludes this episode of ASGCA Insights. I'm Mark Whitney. You can always find past episodes of this podcast and more information about golf course architecture at ASGCA.org. Thank you for listening, and please join us again as we visit with and learn together from golf's industry leaders. Until next time, so long.